Good morning and welcome and happy Easter, everyone. My name is Christian, and I am so thankful that you are here this morning. Good morning to you. Thank you. You have no idea how affirming that is. Uh, I want to say on behalf of everyone who's a part of the Renaissance staff, and also those who are here regularly, how much it means to us that there are visitors who would join us this morning. We're really glad that you chose to be here with us for Easter. Uh, this morning, with the help of one of the late Renaissance painters, Caravaggio, we are going to look at Jesus together. And what we're going to learn about is hope. And I'm absolutely certain that every one of you here could use some more hope. And what we're going to see is that with Jesus, you cannot set your hopes too high. You all know what it's like to have to face a disappointment because you set your hopes too high. Am I right? She was the perfect one for you. She had everything you could ever want, but then the whole thing falls to pieces. Uh, it was your dream job. The interview was absolutely perfect. That night, you, you were picking out office furniture, but then they never called you back. Uh, your application could not have been stronger, but the acceptance letter never came. Another door closes in your face. We know what that's like, don't we? That moment when your hopes evaporate, it makes you feel empty, like your heart is sick, it makes the days stretch on forever, and it makes it very hard to keep walking down the road, doesn't it? Of course, listen, of course, time has a way of moving along. Uh, it keeps going. And you get a few miles down the road from that disappointment, and sometimes, uh, not always, but sometimes, you come to the place where you get to see that the disappointment back there actually was a gift disguised. Have any of you ever had that experience? Enough time goes and you get far enough away, and then you get to look back, and what you thought was a catastrophe actually turns out to have been the very best thing that could have ever happened. Not getting what you hoped for was way better than if you had gotten it, right? You meet another person, and she's a way better fit for you. Uh, there's another career opportunity that it, it matches your gifts way better. Uh, or there's a school that's a better fit for you. Or it's a good thing that that door closed in your face so you could go through another. In moments like that, you get to see that not getting what you hoped for was actually the best thing that could have come, and this is the key, and this is what I want you to see this morning, and this is what we'll see if we see Jesus clearly. The trouble was not that you set your, your hopes too high, but that you'd set them too low. I want you to look at this painting. Uh, we're going to get some help seeing Jesus from Caravaggio. Uh, this painting is called The Supper at Emmaus. It was painted by the Italian master Caravaggio in 1601. It's an Easter painting. The man in the center with the red and then the white robe droped, that's Jesus. He's presiding at a meal. On the upper left, that's the owner of the home who is the host. And then the two men who are sitting, those are disciples of Jesus 
who have just finished a very long journey. The moment which Caravaggio has captured here is from an account recorded by Luke in the 24th chapter of his book. This is dinner time on the first Easter Sunday. Now, this is a critical moment in the story. It is the instant when these two disciples, the men sitting at the table with Jesus, discover that not getting what they had hoped for is the very best thing that has ever happened. And not just for them personally, but for the whole world. Right here is the moment when they recognize that when it comes to putting your hope in Jesus, you can never set your hopes too high, only too low. Uh, In a very clever way, (laughs) and it's ironic that that shell fell off there. More on that later. (laughs) In a very clever way, Caravaggio has captured the truth that Jesus always gives us more than we could hope for. Always. Because when it comes to Jesus, you can never set your hopes too high. And I know from my own experience and from the story that we'll look at, which comes before this, that many times in life it will feel like even Jesus himself has let you down. And that's for those of us who have followed him. Let me tell you the immediate events preceding this moment. Those two men sitting at the table on Sunday afternoon had woken up that morning in the city of Jerusalem The Friday prior, they had watched their master and their friend, Jesus, die on a cross. On Saturday, they weren't allowed to do anything because they were observant Jews. And Saturday is the Sabbath, which means no traveling. So Friday, they see their friend die. And the next day, they're forced to stay in the city and live in that disappointment all day. And they can't do anything to distract themselves. Anyone in here who's lost a beloved friend or family member, you know what that's like. It's awful. Sunday morning, they wake up as some women who were also friends of Jesus. They come to the place where these men were sleeping and they wake them to tell them that that morning they'd gone to the grave where Jesus' body was and surprisingly, the stone was rolled away and they looked inside and the body was gone and then according to these women, some angels appeared and told them the reason his body is not here is that he's alive, he's, he's arisen from the dead. These women reported to these disciples and to them, it seems too good to be true. Have you ever heard something that seems too good to be true? And so they don't believe it. It seems like an idle tale to them. They think these women are making it up. It's just the projection of their wishes onto reality. They can't come to grips with the loss like we can. And after gathering their things up in Jerusalem, these two men in this picture, they begin the long walk away from the most disappointing event they have ever experienced. And now in in the year behind you, I bet there's one or two moments where you yourself have had to walk away from a disappointment. Let that be in your mind for a moment. I'm going to read the account of this story, leading up to this story from the Gospel of Luke, from chapter 24. In verse 13, here's what it says. Now, on that same day, that is on Easter morning, two of the disciples, two of them, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. A seven is the number of perfection. It means that this is a journey which is perfectly far. And it takes a long time to walk seven miles. As they walked, look at verse 14. 
They were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Here we have two, two men who are sharing with one another as they journey along about the greatest disappointment that they'd ever had to face. Uh, you know this metaphor that life is like a journey. And that goes back to the Bible. Whenever there's a path or a way in the Bible, it's a metaphor for life. Here are two men whose lives have become disappointing because they hoped for something and it didn't come. And what they're doing is one of the best things that you can do when you face disappointment, which is they're walking side by side with each other and they're talking about it. Look at what happens next. This is verse 15. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. I want you to be clear about this, that Christians actually believe that on Friday, Jesus really did die. He didn't just seem to be dead. His body died and it was put in a grave. We also believe that on Sunday morning, miraculously, beyond any way of expression or description, his body was resurrected and he had a new life. Christians believe that. In this moment, we have two disciples who cannot possibly believe that it's true, who as they are walking on the road are joined by the risen Jesus, but they don't recognize him. So imagine that for a moment. They're walking along as they've talked, and they're talking with each other about how disappointing Jesus was, and there he is with them. This is great. Verse 17, he said to them, Jesus speaks to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still looking sad. The resurrected Jesus is messing with them. <laughs> he, he knows what they're talking about. They're talking about him. Only they can't see that he is right there with them because disappointment, when hope is broken, it can be so difficult that it blinds you from seeing what's right there in front of you. And that's what's happening here. They're so utterly spent inside because they put their hope in Jesus and they thought he failed that they can't even see him when he's right there, even when he asks them, what are you talking about? And so they stand still looking sad. And listen now, it's one thing when you put your hope in some trifle or trinket and it doesn't come. But it's another thing altogether when you decide, like many of us here will have decided, I think I should put my hope in Jesus. And then you start walking with him and then your hopes don't come to be. And that's what's happening in this moment. And so if you're a skeptic, you should see in this moment that even Christians will often find themselves missing Jesus when he's right there. They will have put their hope in him and it will seem to them that he has failed. And if you're a Christian, you should see your own self here. Walking through life, disappointed and sad and not seeing what's right there. What are you talking about? And they stood there looking sad. Verse 18 reads, Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? <laughs> the irony is he's the only stranger in Jerusalem who does know about what truly happened in these days. And he knows it, but they can't see it. And they cannot see it. Listen now, this is very important. They can't see it because they believe that they set their hopes in Jesus too high, that they hoped for too much from Jesus. And they didn't get what they hoped for. And now they can't see him. 
And we know this because look at what they say to him next. This is verse 21. Uh, Excuse me, I skipped a bit. Let's come back. What things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. That is, they tell Jesus what happened to Jesus. And all they can see when they reflect on what happened on Friday is failure. All they see is that Jesus was crucified and he's dead. We thought he had power, but he has none. We thought he was mighty in word and deed, but we were wrong. We thought he was someone to put our hope in, but now we see we were mistaken. And that's why we're sad. And that's why we're walking away from Jerusalem in such misery. And then they add verse 21 to put it in clear terms what they had hoped for. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Here's the moment where they give clear expression to the specific thing they had hoped for. They had looked at Jesus and hoped that he would redeem Israel. Let me explain. Years earlier, these men and others like them had seen this teacher, Jesus, this rabbi, and they were impressed with what they saw. Men and women were attracted to his wisdom, to the way he handled the word of God. It was like nothing else they'd heard. The wisdom that came from this man was like a light on life that shed... uh, understanding in the dark places. And so men and women went with him. His love for people that no one else loved was so inspiring that they wanted to be near him. They saw him cross boundaries that religious leaders had put up. Those people are bad. These are the good people. Jesus went right across those lines and they loved watching him do it. And so they wanted to be with him. In the evenings, imagine this, The days were done as Jesus was their leader. They would reflect on who he was around the campfire and and then it began to occur to him, maybe Jesus is the one who will finally redeem Israel. If you've read the Bible, if you've spent time in the Old and New Testaments, you will know that there was a hope that had been unfolding for generations for God's Messiah to finally come and redeem Israel. An anointed figure who would show up and finally release the captives from the oppressive power of Rome. These people, the disciples, the men and women who walked with Jesus, their lives were hard because of the Roman oppression and they began to hope for a deliverer. And every sign indicated that Jesus was that one. And so these men and many others like them began to think, maybe Jesus is the one who will redeem Israel. They began to hope that Jesus would at last give them the life they'd always dreamed of. But then came what we call the Last Supper. If you know the story, you know well that at that meal on Thursday, Jesus sat with these friends who had hoped he would be the Messiah and told them, this very weekend, I'm going to be handed over and I'm going to be crucified. They couldn't couldn't believe it. And then they watched as he was in fact arrested that night while he prayed in the garden. And then they saw him taken before the religious authorities and tried on false charges, but he didn't defend himself. And then the next morning they saw him with Pilate who pronounced him innocent and yet the crowds that gathered cheered, crucify him, crucify him. And now those disciples, the very same in this painting, are standing at a distance watching what's happening and they're thinking, it looks like maybe we've hoped for the wrong thing and it goes from bad to worse as they see their master carry his own cross up the hill and they have to witness the torturous moment of his public execution as his hands and feet are nailed to the cross. The entire sky becomes dark and these men and women with them stand in the shadows 
as their friend Jesus dies and he does nothing to save himself. And in that moment, their hopes are extinguished altogether. Here they are on the road thinking. The reason that we didn't get what we hoped for is we had, we had hoped for too much from Jesus. And I'll tell you, I know for sure that many of you who are here this morning have in your uh, recent past or even right now in the present pain and anguish because you've hoped for something and you didn't get it. And you've been tempted with the thought, I've hoped for too much, that's why I didn't get it. And that is the case sometimes when we go through life and we find our hearts drawn to this or that thing and we hope for it and, and we don't get it because we've set our hopes too high. But listen, sometimes the truth is you don't get what you hope for because you hope for too little. And it takes a few more miles on the road before you see that. But can any of you relate to that? Has it happened for anyone in here that a disaster turned out to be the best thing because you had set your hopes too low? It's hard for me to see your faces, but I see one person nodding. If you've spent time with little children, you see this all the time, right? Because kids, they get their hearts set on things that are small, and they believe they're the best things that they could ever have. But let me show you this picture. Look at this. That's my son, Nathaniel, when he was two years old. And in this moment, he thinks he looks cooler than he ever will in his whole life with those, those glasses. My, my, my wife, Michelle, and I, and our son and daughter, Nate and Lily, we were, we were invited to go on vacation with some friends in Mexico years ago. And we went to one of those, those gigantic hotels that has a huge water park out in front of it. Any of you been there to places like that? Yeah, some of you have. We get out of the hotel on the first day, and Nathaniel sees the kiddie pool, and he, he's, he makes a beeline for it, and in his heart right now is this particular hope. I will never have to leave this kiddie pool as long as I live. That is, in his mind in this moment, as good as it could possibly get in life. I go into the kiddie pool, I step in there to join him, and that thing is suspiciously warm. There, it's loaded with children. The top six inches is water. The bottom six inches, urine. And look, we can tell the truth in here. He loves it because it's warm, right? There he is, enjoying every moment of it and thinking to himself, life could never get better than this. And what he hopes for is that I will never, ever ask him to leave. Listen, this is serious. We are an awful lot like two-year-olds. What I see as his father, as I stand there uncomfortably, is that beyond, beyond this tiny little kiddie pool, there is a rock water slide that winds 20 or 30 feet down and then dumps its rider into the pool. And I think, I want to take my son on that because it would be so much better for him than sitting here. And so I bend down to lift him to take him out, and he does that thing that two-year-olds do so you can't lift them. You know the back trick? Like, like that. And then I say, Nate... No, uh, come on, I have something better for you. And he screams, Daddy, no. All the other parents are looking at me. I feel embarrassed, but I know deep down that it would be better for him if he doesn't get what he hopes for in this moment. I know that, and I love him, and that's why I want to give him something better. But in his two-year-old mind, all he can think is, I had hoped for this different thing. Oh, I got him out of that pool eventually and we got on the water slide and this is what it was. And we rode that thing together for a half an hour. It was so 
joyful for me as his father because I love him, but it was so joyful for him. On the road away from Jerusalem, those disciples were convinced that the reason for their disappointment was that they had set their hopes too high, that Jesus would redeem Israel. That was too much to hope for. And that's why they were where they were. But the truth is that they were disappointed because they had hoped for too little from him. And I want you to understand this. I want you to believe this. I want you to trust it in your heart. When it comes to Jesus, you cannot hope for too much. That does not mean you'll get everything you hope for. You, sometimes you'll say, I hope for this thing from Jesus, and you won't get it. That's because it's too little, not too much. What Jesus has for us is always and every single time better than what we could hope for. Always, every time. And that truth is pronounced with such power and beauty in the story from Luke 24 as it is in the painting that Caravaggio gave us. Let me tell you the story for a moment, how it gets from that moment where they're talking to Jesus to the meal, and then we'll look at the painting again. See, after Jesus hears from them that we'd hoped that Jesus was going to redeem Israel, he says to them very plainly, wait a minute, don't your prophets tell you that the Messiah who was going to come would actually suffer for the sins of the people and then be crucified and died and then come back after three days. And Jesus himself actually opens the Bible for them as they walk on the road and shows them how Moses and the prophets had said that this is how it would happen and they still don't recognize him. Jesus leads a Bible study for them and they don't know it's him. Do you see the irony there? They walk along and they still are brokenhearted, and, and now the sun is setting, and that they're, they're at the end of their seven-mile journey when they come to Emmaus, their destination. And they've walked all the while in their disappointment with Jesus there, and they didn't know it. Maybe that's true for you. And they come to Emmaus, and as the sun's setting, these two disciples decide, let's go in for a meal. And they turn to their strange companion, Jesus, and they say, why don't you eat with us? And that's a great thing to do to invite him for a meal. And he says to them, I'm planning to, to keep going. They, they insist on it. No, join us. And so he does. So he comes into the home with them. And then he sits down at the table with them. And then he does something which makes it so all at once they learn the lesson that the problem was not that they had set their hopes too high, but rather too low, because their eyes are opened when he does something symbolic and they see him. I want you to look at the painting again, and now I want your, uh, your eyes to go first to the meal there that is on the table. There are some details uh, in that meal which are significant. Uh, Caravaggio was notorious for including anachronistic elements in his paintings, things that didn't belong there because they were from the wrong time period. Uh, that meal on the table is most definitely not a first century meal. No, that is the kind of feast that would have been set in Rome in the beginning of the 17th century, which is where and when Caravaggio painted this. Now look carefully at the bowl of fruit. Do you notice the shadow beneath it? falling down. It might be hard to make out here, but he's painted this in such a way that the bowl of fruit is literally falling off the table toward the viewer. And he did that because what he wants to say to you as you look at it 
is this is not just you looking at a meal for other people, but it's a meal that is coming to you because you are also invited. He believed that. And then there's another detail which is extremely significant. Look at the lapel of the man on the left side of the canvas. Do you see what's there? It's a white scallop shell. When Caravaggio painted this scene and included that detail, one of the most important Christian pilgrimages was called the Camino de Santiago, the Way of St. James. Uh, in a room this big, probably one of you will have either done it yourself or known someone who has. Starting 700 years before this painting, legend had it that the remains of St. James were buried in the city that we now know as Santiago de Compostela. And during the Middle Ages, religious pilgrims who were seeking spiritual growth would set out on the long journey from the southern part of Spain and walk all the way from there up to Santiago de Compostela as religious pilgrims to make their way to the site where Santiago was. The sign of the pilgrim was the scallop shell, the very thing which fell off my desk before. <laughs> this shell served two purposes. Uh, not only did it symbolize to anyone who saw you that you were a religious pilgrim, which is what Caravaggio wanted us to see with this man here, that this is a man who's making his way through life, like all of us. But also the shell had a practical purpose. The pilgrimage, which took months, made it impossible to carry your own food. And so while you were on the journey, you carried the shell so that along the road, when the day ended and you needed some sustenance, any home or abbey or church that you came into was obliged, the moment they opened the door and saw that you were a pilgrim, to give you just enough food to fill the shell. Often this meant that you would come to the door and hold it out, and the best that you could hope for was a handful of oats to keep you going until tomorrow. And so the shell is, literally, a physical representation of how much the pilgrim hopes for. And this man with the shell on his lapel is a man who had hoped that Jesus would redeem Israel. That's what he'd hoped for. And I want you to look again at the meal that is right there beside his shell. His little hopes are way too small. When it comes to Jesus, if you sit down at the table that Jesus is at, you can't possibly hope for too much. Look at the meal that he sets there. Jesus' meal for this man is far beyond what he dared hope. And this is the artist's way of saying that when it comes to Jesus, you cannot hope for too much. The artist wants us to know that in this moment, the man's eyes are opened to see the truth that Jesus gives way more than he could ever have asked or hoped for. To grasp the power of the moment, I want you to listen to what actually happens according to Luke in the instance that this man's eyes are opened and he recognizes that it is Jesus there who presides at the meal. This is verse 30. When he was at table with them, this is how it's described by Luke, he took bread, listen carefully, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Any careful reader of this account will know that the last time these disciples were with Jesus at a meal was on Thursday night 
And Jesus did exactly the same thing then that he did here. At that night when he sat with them before he died, he took the bread, he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And then he said, this is my body broken for you. On that evening, that made no sense to them. It sounded like nothing but a failure that his body should be broken. But now, after seven miles and after the bread is broken, what they see is that when they hoped that Jesus would redeem Israel, it was far too small a hope because he was not come to redeem Israel alone, but rather to redeem the entire creation. Jesus came and gave his body to be broken so that the enemy he would defeat was not the enemy of Caesar or Herod, but so instead he would defeat the enemy of Satan, the enemy of sin and death. And through that would bring not just some improvement to the lives of people who were politically oppressed, but rather new birth to men and women who because of his gift would have new life. When it came to Jesus, their hopes that he would remain their teacher were too small. Jesus' mission was to go, die, and then rise again so that he could be, listen now, he could not only be with them for a few more years, but so that he could be to this very day with every man and woman who would choose to put their hope in him. A constant companion through every step of life, all seven miles long. This is the gift of Easter, the gift that when it comes to Jesus, you can trust that if you would put your hope in him, no matter what comes, no matter what you have to face, two things, he will be with you until you get to the place where you see what he has for you is better than you could have asked or imagined. What is the hopelessness that you walk through now? Let that come into your heart for a moment. I know that many of you here this morning, will have very difficult things you face with your family, with your friends, with yourself, with your job, with your neighborhood, with your church, whatever it is. I will not tell you that whatever you hope for, you are going to get it. That would be a lie. I will tell you that if you choose to walk with Jesus and trust him, to try that out, then whatever you get as you put your hope in him, it will be better than you had hoped for. Because whatever you hope for apart from him is like a tiny little shell. And what Jesus means to do is to give you a feast because he loves you more than you would dare dream. Now listen, I want to give to you this morning, I want to give a, a very direct challenge as, as my uh, Easter gift for you, okay? There's a little Easter basket for each one of you. Okay, for those of you who are following Jesus and who trust him, and many among us uh, would call ourselves followers of Christ, okay, to you, here is my specific challenge. Whatever it is that you have been hoping for that has not been coming, I want to challenge you to trust that the reason you don't have it yet is because you've set your hopes too low, that you have walked along with Jesus and he hasn't given you what you've hoped for because it's too low a hope. And I know you might say, but you don't understand. I've been hoping so desperately that my life would change and it would go better for me. Do you have any idea how awful the people are that I have to deal with every day? No, I don't know that. But maybe you've been hoping that God would change them when in fact that's too low a hope. What you ought to hope for is that he would change you instead. You see that? Or maybe you, you'll say, I have been hoping that he would change me, but it's not happening. It's taken a full year of hoping for this. Hang in there. Maybe the, the hope that's higher is that it will take a long time for God to change you. 
Uh, Maybe you're thinking, no, what I need is relief from all this misery and suffering. That's a very high hope, and I'll tell you, maybe you need to consider the truth that a better hope is that you will see that he has already joined you in what you're going through. And he's not gonna take away the pain yet because he wants you to grow courage and endurance and patience and humility. Hang in there. That's my gift to you, a challenge to hang in there and to keep walking from whatever Jerusalem is behind you toward the Emmaus that's ahead of you until you get to the point where Jesus finally shows you that he's trustworthy. That's my my gift to you. Do that. And then to those of you who are here this morning who are not followers of Jesus, but you've come because someone invited you for Easter, uh, before I give my challenge to you, I want you to understand how utterly grateful I am that you're here. I don't take it for granted. Uh, I thank you for choosing to join us. But here is my challenge to you. In fact, I'll put it in terms of a hope. My hope for you is that as long as you go through life without Jesus, I hope that your life continues to become more and more disappointing to you. That sounds like I'm a real jerk, doesn't it? (laughs) Listen, here's why I say it. Because life apart from him is like sitting in in a suspiciously warm kiddie pool. (laughs) I mean it. And believing that's as good as life gets. I'm completely serious here. No matter how successful you are in every single measure that we've devised to weigh the value of human life, no matter how good you have it in every area, apart from Jesus, you have not yet experience what you were made for, which is so much better than life apart from him that it's like languishing in a kiddie pool. And I'm serious. I hope, I hope that for spending this time here with us this morning that maybe you would consider that perhaps the emptiness and the lack of purpose and meaning and direction and joy is a function of the fact that you've set your hopes way too low. And that instead you should turn away from where you are and look to the grand and glorious and magnificent adventure of walking through life with the one who died and was raised for you. And this is what one of Jesus' followers said after reflecting on this moment. Jesus died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves but for him who died and was raised for them. And that means for every single one of you in here, Jesus died and he was raised for you and he will walk beside you until your eyes are finally opened and you see that he is for you and that you need him and that he loves you more than you could ever dream. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for the great and magnificent privilege of being able to speak of your death and resurrection for us here this morning. God, thank you that this is the task that you've given me with my life. I thank you for every man and every woman and every child who's in this place this morning. God, I thank you that we've taken this time to consider the gift of hope that is in you, which is beyond what we could imagine. We thank you for the gift of the artists who help us see more than we could otherwise see. And we thank you for the resurrection, for the truth that Jesus is alive. God, would you help each one of us know in our hearts the truth of your presence with us on the road. And would you help us see that you have for us more than we could dare hope or dream. God, help every man and woman in this place put our hopes in you and then show us your faithfulness, we pray in Jesus' name.